podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. It is the Anfield Wrap on Radio City Talk. Neil Atkinson, Dan Austin, Andy Heaton. We were going to have Melissa ready, but the situation is that the whole uh, the whole Fakir thing, everyone's waiting for it to break. So we're recording this. I'm going to be really honest with you listeners. We're recording this at 4pm. We've hung on for as long as we can before coming into the studio to have this conversation. We expect by the time you're listening to this that Nabil Fakir has been announced as a Liverpool player, uh, but we cannot be certain of that. But we are excited about the prospect of him playing for Liverpool. And I'm just going to start off with the goals, uh, Dan Austin. I before we before we go into this, yeah, this isn't the first time we've been in this situation, is it? When was the last time? Oh, there's been tons of times when we were halfway through a show waiting for it. I'm sure Liverpool do this deliberately. Oh, I'm did... sure there's a mould. The needle from Liverpool in regards to our schedule is ridiculous. Well, you that know, is definitely the case. I the, mean, I, the last time we did the transfer show, we were halfway through a steak dinner in Germany, weren't we? Yeah, <laughs> there was that one. Yeah, yeah, I remember that one. Uh, all across the board, really. Uh, it's, we'll uh, always have our SAED as well. We'll always, yeah, that one. Uh, there's, 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 there's. There's lots of madness uh, at times around all of this. Uh, yeah, the, the, the good thing about the football matches is that whilst you don't know the outcome of them, you at least know when they're going to happen. Uh, <laughs> the transfers, it doesn't quite work the same way. So we are waiting with bated breath. It might even happen whilst we're chatting amongst ourselves. But what we're going to do, because what we were going to do, and this is why Melissa was coming in, was our season reviews. Uh, so they are going to come up uh, where me... Dan and Andy each speak uh, and give our interpretation of the season and what we think is going to happen next with the Reds uh, for five to ten minutes and we have a little chat about that and that is coming through the course of this show so we're going to be talking about last season in a minute or two but Liverpool look like they're going to sign Nabil Fakir uh, they look like they're going to do it for over £50 million though possibly uh, with add-ons sorry but possibly under £55 million. Uh, and they look like they're going to make him their fourth attacker uh, of three appears to be the noises that are beginning to come out uh, Dan Austin and the thing I notice is, is what I said earlier on Fakir scored 18 league goals last season uh, three of them were set pieces uh, free kicks from outside the area three of them were penalties from inside the area that means his other 12 league goals were all from open play and that is the first thing for Liverpool supporters maybe to look out for this is a fellow who sticks the ball in the back of the net yeah um, we're really good at sticking the ball in the back of the net already but it'd be good if we were even better wouldn't it because I think um, we've got to be looking at catching Manchester City in the league and what they've got is an abundance of footballers that can put the ball in the net and they don't necessarily play up front to get them from midfield as well um, so wherever we're going to we're going to be putting Fakir on the pitch whether it's as a forward which I think most of us probably expect him to be or whether he maybe does play a little bit deeper as a link between midfield and attack he's someone who can score goals whether it be from open play or from set pieces and certainly since Coutinho's been missing we've got lads that can, can take a free kick but there's not a free kick taker that you'd look at and really be confident in this Liverpool team so it's nice to have someone that you think if he's on the pitch you can trust with that kind of thing um, it's 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 strange that it, it feels like it's gone on forever this already and it's not even two weeks since the European Cup final um, Liverpool, the way Liverpool do the transfers now has made this which has only really been a few days of saga if you want to call it that feel really long but it's 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 again it's something that's incredibly clever they've managed to beat off by the sounds of it a, a really big European club in the shape of Bayern Munich for him he hasn't even wanted to speak to Bayern Munich he's just said I'm playing for Liverpool which is a massive positive and it's a sign that it's a, it's a sign of Liverpool's stature in the game at this point because if we'd have been doing this a year ago or if we'd have been doing this now with a different manager or even with a different style of play, um, I don't think we'd be commanding the kind of players so easily that we are at this point. Stature in the game, I think, is is striking, Andy, at this stage. That the stature in the game, there's, there's the idea that Liverpool... You know the, the the football that Liverpool play does grab the attention. There's the idea that people have seen from the outside last season what that European run was like for the Reds, and they want a bit of it. They want a piece of this. It's 
And it's, it, that's an interesting thing in the context of Fakir's whole career. This isn't his third move or anything like that. He, he, made, he made his, his league debut at Lyon. Uh, he's come right the way through the ranks at Lyon. He loves Lyon. You could see he was upset when he was substituted in his last game. And now he's almost certainly about to be confirmed as a Liverpool player because he wants to have a similar sort of passionate relationship with the football club he plays for. It sounds mad saying this because we obviously we lost the game, but I think this is in the the afterglow of the European Cup final and the European Cup run that, that mm-hmm. made people sit up and take notice. I mean, we talk about it's funny when Dan mentioned the word saga. If I had a penny for every time we've had one of those, or like a genuine saga over the last few seasons, I'd probably have about 48 pence. Um, <laughs> but it's, Ju- it's June the 8th. It's June the 8th. We've got target one in. We're probably going to get target two in today. And they sign a goalkeeper, which, I mean, it's, by all means, if, if it is Alisson, we'll be done before the end of June because of reasons that we know. It shows you how far we've come. I mean, how many times have we been in July and everyone's going, oh, be patient, be patient. There's plenty of time left. And they're just going and doing it. But that takes two to tango. You need Will on the players' side to be able to do that. For the players to put that kind of pressure on on the club, the players, the agents, whatever, to go, no, this is the move my man wants. Go and make, go, just go and get it done. And to say, and, and we've seen this now, there seems to be a pattern of agent, no, only Liverpool. Only Liverpool. And then that baits... That encourage, you'd like to think that encourages the the move um, exponentially in the speed in which they get done. So yeah, no, fantastic. It's it's great news on the playing side. Neil, sorry to cut you off mid flow. Um, I mean, we talk about him as a as a cover for the front three, but uh, towards the end of so it's often been said that Coutinho wasn't a natural fit for a Klopp side. It's been said here, it's been said elsewhere, and he was dropping deeper and deeper. So the, there's a question for me whether there's two roles there. That'll see the, the the lad play thirty five to well thirty to forty fixes. Some maybe a little bit deeper against teams that you know. You'd ironically, the more goals you want to score, or the more you think you can attack a team, the deeper you might actually play. So you can then accommodate the other three in front of him. And then when games where you think it might be tough or might be tricky or there's injury or or someone just needs a rest, that's where you'd see him further up the pitch. It's. I think that the, the the tactical fit we'll see down and I think we'll see we'll see it in a variety of different ways and I agree maybe that it's more than one role it's two uh, or maybe even three. I mean, well, if you if you count the front three as one role, if you count the front three yeah. as front role, yeah, it's two different roles perhaps. One of the that strikes me is this manager. We I think that we're we're very quick and rightly quick to put the onus on the manager the fact that the way he's attracting these players, but I think there's. There's something in, in his football team and this football club as a whole giving him the best possible raw materials to do so. I've got these images of him in a Weatherspoons in Blackpool, sort of passing his phone, all the talk that the manager loves fan media and that he loves media that's created by supporters, filming, being a supporter mm-hmm. and what all of that's like. And I've just got this sort of image that when it comes to someone like Fakir, the manager's almost going, look at this, look at this video, look at this video, come and play for these, come and play in front of these, come and be part of this thing. You Maybe that's somewhat romantic and soppy, but... I do sort of think there's something in the in the characters he's getting where he wants he wants rambunctious footballers, footballers with an element of with an element of devil about them, and footballers with an element of of having a relationship with football supporters about them wanting to be at the centre of that relationship of the passionate thing he's been part of. I think that's completely true. As much as as much as the professional footballers, and it's it's about their career and and winning whatever they want to win and, and, and move into whatever geographical location they want to move to, the human beings. Um, and they, they want to be somewhere that they feel wanted and they feel a connection with people and they, they just enjoy being a part of. And I know, I know that if it was me trying to flog Liverpool Football Club to them, I'd be showing them videos of 
all the mad performances that we've seen this season with the really intense football, the the devastating attacking displays against the likes of City and Roma. But then I'd also be showing them, as you say, I'd be showing them videos from the end in Rome in the half an hour afterwards. I'd be asking Trent Alexander-Arnold to send me the video that he took when he bounced back out <laughs> with his phone in his hand uh, so that I could basically use it as a marketing tool to all these players and go, look, that could be you. You could be in an away end in 12 months' time, dancing, top off, round your head and all these people. All these lunatics yeah, yeah. are going to be stood there singing your name, going absolutely mad. And yeah, you can go and play for Bayern Munich if you want, or you can go and play for Manchester City if you want, and you'd probably get more money and you might have a guarantee of a, of a league winner's medal. And, and they'll be nice lads, by the way. They've got a yeah, nice crowd. But it's not going to quite be this. It's not going to quite be this. It's not going to be this sheer lunacy about everything and I, I, I think that's a massive selling point it's just how insane everything to do with Liverpool is at the minute from from the way the manager probably speaks to them he probably speaks to them in a way that no other football manager ever would I, I imagine from the way that he speaks in press conferences and stuff to the videos that he can show them of the actual football to the way that he can talk about the history of the club and also what he can tell them about this European run do you think there's an element as well? The lads he's gone to sign. So you, you look at Fekiri, everyone's talking about replacement Coutinho, Fabinho before him. Do you think there's almost a pitch to these lads going where they can see a clear path to where they fit in? So they're not coming in necessarily to, to compete with. They, they can look at the midfield and go, right, I can see how good this team is. I see what it lacks, maybe lacks, and I can see how I can improve that. And, and push them on to just that little bit more. Yeah, but I think that's definitely the case, Andy. I think it's a really interesting point, but I think that's a double-edged sword in that what that means is that I don't think we've got a manager here who would leave us overstocked because I think one of the things he's selling is how you can express yourself and play yep. your football. And I think he's got to be true to himself. So whereas I think that United, for instance, can can dangle can dangle huge wages. I mean, we dangle huge wages, let's be clear. But United's wages can be that bit more on top. So they don't have to sell you the pattern of the idea of where I'm going to play. They sell you the idea of well, you're going to get weighed in, lad, and you're going to get to play some stuff and you're going to get to play in front of 80,000. It's going to be great. But trust me, you're going to get looked after. Yep. And then that's a little bit different when the manager is. So, you know, I'd like us still to possibly be in the market for another really good option for the front four but there's talk the next one might just be Shakiri, and that might be the end so that's a double-edged sword I'd mm. rather probably be overstocked if I'm being dead honest but as I always say if you have Jurgen Klopp as your manager you've got Jurgen Klopp as your manager and you've got to take its slings and arrows yeah, yeah I cool. completely agree and I think you mentioned before about his numbers the fact that he's got 18 and 12 from open play and this time not quite a year ago but but nearly a year ago we were all looking through Mohamed Salah's numbers weren't we and we were saying oh if he can just get 19 again then we'd be absolutely fine with that yeah. and then he got 44 um, and it's not all down to the manager it's down to his sheer abilities of football it's down to the lads around him it's, it's, it's the perfect mix of so many things but I'm sure Fakir's looking at that and going I'm already really good, but if I want to be excellent, if I want to be one of the best footballers in the world, that's happened to him there in one year. Well, it didn't even take one year. It just just by turning up there and playing <laughs> playing with these lads and playing for this manager, he became, on this season's evidence, the best player in world football. That kind of thing could happen to um, me. So this is where I'm curious, because um, it seems to be a facet of the, the, the Edwards model. What have they seen and no one else has seen? So he's already, all right, he's already a good player. But to be that decisive to go and get him, and we've seen him with a couple of Liverpool players, what have they seen that no one else has spotted? What analytics are, are they looking at that no one else has seen? What, 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 how can they, what are they thinking they're getting as opposed to what we think they're getting? Using Salah as an example, Mane, Firmino, well, albeit Firmino signed a couple of years ago, 
they seem to sign them at that age where they think, right, this is a player at a certain level and we think he's going to go and the trajectory is going to go sharp, not slightly upwards, sharply upwards. Okay, this is the Anfield Rap on Radio City Talk. That's us on the Beal for Kia. Uh, more on that if it breaks. We're talking back in a minute or two. We're going to be talking about the season just gone, our season reviews. It is the Anfield Rap Radio City Talk. So what we do on the Anfield Rap every single year is we work through our seasons, our season reviews, and we have conversations about them, uh, about the seasons just gone. We've been doing them throughout the week. We did them on our free show on Monday. And someone speaks uh, for about five minutes, five to ten minutes, and then we have a little chat about what Dave said and ask a couple of questions about it. So across for the rest of this uh, of this show, we're going to be doing that, looking back on the season that's been. Uh, Dan Austin's going to go first. After seven o'clock, you'll get Andy Heaton, and I'll wrap it up towards the very, very end of the show. Uh, but Dan, your views, your feelings about Liverpool 2017-2018 and where it leaves us? Um, I think what strikes me most about it now that it's 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 been and gone I can, and I can look back on it is that in a few years' time or, or maybe even in a few decades' time people are going to look back on this Liverpool season on Wikipedia or in books um, and they're going to look at it in conjunction with the rest of Liverpool seasons around this time and they're going to see that Liverpool finished fourth and didn't win anything, and they lost the European Cup final in really awful circumstances because of um, individual errors, and then they're going to ask me about it, and I'm going to tell them that it was absolutely my favourite Liverpool season that I've ever seen, so far anyway, um, just because I've, I've absolutely had the time in my life following them, and it's, it's, it's because of so many different things, it's just felt like the perfect combination of everything, certainly... In, in my Liverpool supporting time, it's the first time that it's felt like everyone's pulling in the same direction, both on and off the pitch in terms of the staff, the owners, the supporters and the players. Um, it's the first time that I've really properly identified with them. And, and we mentioned before about Trent coming back out and, and the half an hour in the Stadio Olimpico afterwards. And that that's definitely my favourite moment in my Liverpool supporting career. Um nothing nothing has ever quite felt like that. And it and it came after a four two defeat in a European Cup semi final. So it shouldn't make any sense. Um but so much about this season doesn't make any sense and that's what makes it so special. Um if you look at the league season and I've not really thought about the league season for a long time because it's it's it should have been second fiddle. Um, Liverpool have been sort of comfortably in the top four and you've not really had to worry about it. But I was thinking about it yesterday and um, there was no real big moment in it apart from apart from the City game, the 4-3. The rest of it, you know, our record against the top six wasn't great. We beat Arsenal at home, didn't we, in August? And aside from that, against the top six plus Everton, we didn't actually win another one. Um, if you compare that to the City season before. Yeah, I said City oh, yeah, at home. Yeah, and, yeah. yeah so it's, it's only them two, which if you compare to the season before, yeah. is, the exact, is the exact opposite. You had loads of really great individual moments, but there wasn't this kind of overarching thing. Um, so it, it, it's been purely about the European one. I think I'd probably have a very different view of the season if you'd asked me how excited I was by it or how much I was enjoying it in January, February, because there hadn't been that, experience that that sense of adventure which is essentially what I'm in it for um, it would have made a really big difference if Liverpool had won the European Cup obviously um, because we get to add it to all the statistics and we'd get to you know follow the bus around town celebrating it and we'd get to just shout about it for years and years to come but me ending up on a bus to the other end of the continent <laughs> is what I'm in it for Regardless of the outcome, obviously I would prefer the positive outcome, but it's 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 the being there, it's the it's the sharing that experience with your mates and and feeling part of something. And there's so many people across the course of this, well, the, the latter half of the season, and especially at European games, who have made a really bizarre bond with. I was stood in the main stand next to the same two fellas for for every European Cup game, 
Um, and I'd, I've got no idea what the names are or where they're from or anything. But we've gone absolutely mad together after about 30 goals in this European Cup run. Um, and it's a really weird thing to be able to share together. And we, we did the same in Rome. I saw all kinds of people there that I just know the faces from the match and you let on two of them. And you just have this really strange relationship with them, which to people outside football and probably outside Liverpool Football Club would make absolutely no sense. Um, but it, it, it does to us. And, and that's the kind of thing that I go the match for. Um, I enjoy the actual football aspect of it as well, obviously, but it's very much about sharing an experience with people and feeling like you're a part of something. And the way this team plays football, the the makeup of the squad, the way the manager speaks, just means that this season has been absolutely perfect for that. And and some of the some of the individual experiences experiences that we've had would be enough to to define a season by. Um, one thing that, that, that me and Craig talk to each other about all the time is how Van Dyke's winning goal against Everton's completely forgotten, absolutely forgotten because it's so inconsequential in the grand scheme of things. Not in, in my of, house. In terms, <laughs> in, in terms of the rest of the things that we did. Um, but at the time, the let-off was unbelievable. And if that's the other way around, if Michael Keane scores a winning goal for Everton in that match, that doesn't just define a season for them, that defines two decades. But we're in a position where we can completely take that for granted and, and it just sort of catches you by surprise sometimes. You're like, oh God, remember that? That was brilliant. But there's been seven other brilliant things in the aftermath that, that, that take precedence in your mind. Um, and all, all the European games could have just, as standalone things, if you just took them as a one-off, I mean, that Roma home game was incredible. Um, but when you put it as part of, of all the other things, as part of beating Porto 5-0 away, both legs of City... At the away leg in Rome and what happened afterwards and then the adventure that that, that was everyone going to Ukraine um, it's just been absolutely brilliant and, and the good thing about it is that I've, I've seen two European Cup finals previous to this one um, and Athens was the only other one that we've lost um, and it's obviously different because I'm a kid and I experienced it in a very different way but um, I was gutted after it absolutely gutted after it because it felt like it almost felt like we were masquerading in them finals under Benitez. It felt like we, we had a good team in that. But if you, if you compare us genuinely to the rest of the, the cream of the crop in Europe, it felt like we were really punching above our weight. Um, whereas at this stage, I don't feel like that. I feel like Liverpool were perfectly legitimately one of the best two teams in Europe. Um, and we're very close to, to being crowned the best of the best. Um, and that makes me think that well, I wasn't disappointed in the aftermath, first of all, and now I'm not expecting us to get to the final next season, but I'm very open to the possibility. I think it's com- completely realistic to think that we're going to be there again. And even if it's not that, um, I'm almost certain that there's going to be some sort of mad adventure involved in following Liverpool next season. And I don't know what it's going to be, but whatever it is, I know that I'm going to enjoy it. So listening to you go through all that, and one of the things that sort of hits me is is the you go on to say that you know the mad adventure next season is that it's not is that you you're as much into it because of, because of a belief in a sustainability rather than the idea of this is this is it you know you even in, at the start you're framing this season as a season that people will talk about in comparison to others around this time as well do you know mm-hmm. what I mean yeah but you sort of see this as this is if not necessarily just the beginning of something something in its own right but also something that's going to sit in relation to whatever happens next yeah they'll talk about it in terms of a process I assume in terms of the next five years of Jürgen Klopp being Liverpool manager or the next five years of Liverpool reaching finals or winning things or whatever it is whatever it ends up being um I think Certainly, if I, if I felt like 
it was the culmination of something this year. I would have been absolutely gutted about the final because I wouldn't see where the next thing was coming from. But the thing that's the thing that's helped me and it helped me in the ground, to be honest. Like lots of people around me were, were really upset and understandably so. But I was I was sort of all right there. I think partly because the way the game went, I was I'd been in a mode of acceptance probably since about an hour in. But also just because I thought it, it's time I get to do this again, and it's not going to be next week, and it might be next year. But at some point, we're all going to be back here. Um, and I think that the majority of the players that are there will will be there as well because I think one of the things that certainly people around me were saying was they, they were so disappointed for the players again because they've built up this genuine bond with them so much. Um, and a few of them won't be there, but I, I think I think the majority of this squad is going to be involved in something as big as that European Cup final with Liverpool again. Whether it's another European Cup final, whether it's challenging for the league title whether it's whatever it could be I think they're going to be there again I think we're all going to be there again and that's what gives me that's what gives me the optimism that we're, we're, we're going into something next season that again we can we can genuinely look forward to and feel like feel like it's going to be an adventure and I think the way they're going about these signings that we've we've already discussed is a big part of that because well, we found out on the bus at the time for Bino and it was it was barely two days later after the final and it feels like the club Aren't accepting almost that the season's over or that there's a sense of, of finality about the defeat in the final. It's it's more as though they're looking to capitalise on it and they're looking to to link the whole thing together. Yeah, I was about to say it's strange, isn't it? It's strange that you don't feel as though uh, the season stopped. That you, you you in that you know football normally you get you feel as though you get yourself a break and certainly doing what we have to do mm-hmm. uh, and say have to do like it's a bad thing. It's a really great thing, but that's you know you can sometimes feel a bit like well you know that's the end of that and we all get to have a breather and then we all come back and and I think and I don't think it is because of the World Cup I think it is because you just sort of feel as though as though Liverpool are on are just on this roller coaster you know they're going to be playing friendlies in about two days <laughs> there's all this sort of stuff it does seem like it's 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 all sort of part of this seamless whole and that's the same thing I think that's linked into what you were saying at the start about everyone pulling in the same direction you just sort of feel as though the the Liverpool roller coaster is not really stopping Exactly, and I think the perfect um, contrast to that is post-Europa League final against Sevilla. Um, I didn't feel particularly optimistic about that. I didn't want to watch Liverpool play again the next week after that. Um, it didn't feel like a big mad adventure where we were all having a good time and pulling in the same direction. And and that had the tools to be like that because they had the run. We knocked United out of the Europa League. Dejan Lovren's big winner. Exactly. We had, we had all similar things to do with this, but it did, just didn't have the same... The same vibe about it, the same order about it, because it, at, at the time it wasn't really his his team, so to speak, because he hadn't had a full season with them. They were they were playing not football that is is not even recognisable compared to to what it is now. I mean, we were putting Benteke on and stuff in that final way, we to try and get a goal and stuff. Um, so the the difference in in what essentially is an incredibly short amount of time. I know that two years can feel like a very long time when you're following a football team. But it's 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 not in reality. Um, is is incredible, and I, it's it's a massive cliche. And at the time, I was a bit, I wasn't that into it as a phrase. But the whole doubters to believers thing has has really happened, and and a big part of 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 I think why I've been so into it this season is is the fact that I'm stood in that away end in Rome, and I'm I'm stood in the ground in Kiev, and I'm looking around, and loads of the people in there are my age. Um, and I know that, that 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 shouldn't be what it's all about, and there are plenty of people that are that are maybe one generation older, there are plenty of much older people in there as well. Um, but it just felt like it felt like our one. And as much as 
as much as we didn't win it and we're not going to be able to say we were there when Liverpool won a European Cup or whatever, we're going to have all these bizarre stories about Ukraine and, and everything that came before and, and all the strange things that we did and the mad football that Liverpool played. Um, and, and that's just a really special thing to be a part of and I genuinely think that you can only really get quite that with Liverpool. Okay, this is the Anfield Rap on Radio City Talk after the break. Andy Heaton, Neil Atkinson doing the same thing. Thank you very much to Dan Austin there. Back in a sec. A brief break in the Anfield Rap on Radio City Talk. I hope you've enjoyed these season reviews. Going right the way through uh, with the season reviews and these are the last ones that we are doing. Uh, we would have had Mel ready in today, but for the chaos, I mean, she might now still make it. I'm pre-recording this, but I don't think she will. The chaos around this for Kia signing, uh, which has got her up the wall and trying to sort stuff out. So it's a shame not to get Mel. Maybe if we can get some time next week, I may well chat away uh, with Mel uh, and do that last little review because it's always great to get her take on things and how she sees Liverpool going forward as well. But this little segment here, as you know, is our Red Bet segment. Red's better partnering with the Anfield Rap right the way through this year. I'm really pleased to partner with them. Uh, what they're looking to do, and it's interesting that I'm talking to you today, but what they're looking to do is to work with supporters groups. Uh, Red's Bet obviously focuses on Liverpool fans. Bet does other things as well. And it's noticeable that there's been shifts today from uh, the Labour Party on uh, the issues around uh, safe standing and rail seating uh, ahead of the debate on the 25th of June. As part of that, Fans Bet worked with Shrewsbury Town in order to see Shrewsbury's uh, safe standing area come to fruition, rail seating uh, installed in Shrewsbury earlier this year. That's an example of the sort of initiative that fans bet and by extension Reds bet want to be part of at football clubs uh, across the country. Reds bet want to be part of supporter initiatives around Liverpool related matters uh, and more and more stuff's coming to fruition on that and hopefully we'll be able to talk about that soon. If you do gamble or even if you want to play fantasy games with them, uh, more than available to do so. Uh, we aren't uh, as part of this relationship looking to convince people to take up gambling, that's not what it's about. We want people to be gamble aware, we want people to gamble responsibly uh, if they do choose to do so and if they don't that is absolutely fine but currently on the Reds Bet site there is a World Cup fantasy game uh, which you can enter and there is a prize pool for that of approximately £25,000 so do feel as though you can take part in that if you would like to uh, and as I said before we are indeed proud to partner with them throughout the entirety of 2018 uh, we feel as though it's gone well for us so far we hope it's gone well for them uh, and we hope that it's not too intrusive for you uh, but this is uh, so what, we, what we're doing at the Anfield wrap this season uh, so it's redsbet.com if you do want to get involved as I said before you've got to be over 18 uh, do gamble responsibly if you are going to uh, and there will be more and more on the initiatives that are happening across the country uh, and specifically as they come to fruition for Liverpool supporters as well as the year goes on I'll get you back over now to us chatting away about 18-19 having opened the show are all too excitedly around Nabil Fakir uh, the Reds very much feel as though they're on the march Welcome back to the Anfield Wrap on Radio City Talk. Looking back across the course of the season. We talked about Nabi Fakir at the very start of the show. If you've missed that, you can listen to this as a podcast. TheAnfieldWrap.com for all of that. Uh, but we are going to move on with our season reviews. Uh, we've got Dan Austin. He's done his. Andy Heaton's going to step in now and talk about his experience of 17-18 as a Liverpool supporter. How do you follow, how do you follow Dan Austin? That was brilliant, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's absolute business. Oh, uh, yeah, I feel a bit like Bill Kenwright at the uh, Chairman's Dinner there. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so, yeah. 17, 18. Um, I don't want to do it chronologically. I just dip in and out. But I feel like I feel like there's been an awakening somewhere. Um, and an awakening, I, 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 and it's been said pretty much by everyone, I think, I'm sure, is, is being driven not just by, I mean, primarily by things on the pitch, but, but driven by the young lads and girls who've got involved with Liverpool Football Club this year. Um, 
and it's felt like it's felt like a journey. Um, I mean, I, I know Dan eloquently stated about you know the the, the mood post Basel compared to the mood post Kiev, and I think it's because there's there's a sense of momentum about Liverpool FC, and I think you could even say argue that the season also was almost two seasons in one. Um, I think the Liverpool team that starts the season is complete is a completely different side altogether to the one that finishes the season. Um, I think that's aided and abetted this momentum that we're talking about in so much as you could see them growing on the pitch so much and learning and, and find, finding themselves all in, in a sense. I mean, we started... I mean, three, the, the first game Wofford was, it was 3-3. And it was kind of... Your best and worst fears combined. And who could have known Salah got his first goal? Who, who could have known that would have been the first of the 500 million that he ended up scoring, which was mad. And then, you know, then that's kind of dulled a little bit the fact we conceded three again in circumstances that you go, oh, here we go again. Liverpool conceded in the last minute set piece. No, going to be one of them, is it? But then we saw flashes of what was to develop at Arsenal. Um, at the first home game I thought we were fantastic I don't know how much that was down to Arsenal being Arsenal as, as they've been at Anfield I'm not knocking Arsenal I think they're a fine side but away from home I think we've had their number for a couple of seasons now um, yeah and then it was kind of frustrating though it, it, as was pointed out earlier we, we, we tended to put teams that we should be beating away which was unusual and then Again, in the big games, we didn't really have another big result until, as you said, the City at Anfield much later in the season. But there was all this, there was a sense that the team were enjoying the football and especially post, I'm going to fast forward a bit, especially post Newcastle. I think Newcastle was the only time that I felt a little bit frustrated with everything, that I felt like the momentum was slow. The only time momentum seemed to slow or we seemed to get a bit turgid was... Was the was the, was the draw at Newcastle? It was the, you know we were making defensive mistakes. The whole Coutinho thing was building up again. And what a goal he scored that game, by the way. Yeah. Out of nothing, I think that's possibly maybe his best goal in the Liverpool shirt because it was one of the only performances. Well, not one of the only, but Coutinho generally played well when we played well. We were tired that day, and it was a game-changing goal. I think that's something that he added to his locker towards the end of his career, which. Maybe was noticed by Barcelona as well. I mean, it's you know, talking about goals that affect games. Um, and then what? Well, post post Christmas has just been wild, hasn't it? It's just been been fantastic. I, I really enjoy. I mean, I enjoy going to football. I know, I know, Neil. You say I don't enjoy football, but I do. <laughs> <laughs> Only when I'm drunken in the mood. <laughs> um, but no, post Christmas was the most fun I've ever had. Uh, well, not the most fun I've ever, had, but one of the best seasons I've had as a, as a Liverpool fan genuinely getting up looking forward to going the game um, the whole experience of going the game as has been said just I think it's been the season's been ret- the, the return and disagree with you on the, the nod and the wink you know the little the, that little swagger that's just kind of returned and I just said you let you let you let it on to lads who you, you don't know the names but you know them mm-hmm. and they know you and it's the little nod and your wink when you see them and, go, and it's almost it's the unspoken of boss this isn't it boss this isn't it and then you fast forward to, I don't know, I mean, Porto, away. who could have known? I think that's when it exploded. It was already good. It was already good. We were already having a great time. And then Porto away, it's absolutely lashing down. And you think, where's the sun? It's been miserable. Oh, I don't know about this. And then everyone kind of, I guess, I've repeated, they found themselves. I think the team got, 
I think the team, a penny dropped in the team and a few of them and they're like, actually, you know, we're all right. We're okay when it works. Um, I think that was the game where most of us were having a fantastic season, but I think that's when there was a moment of realisation across Europe that actually this kid's, I say kid, but this fella's really special. And then you bounce out of Porto and I don't think, especially on the uh, as the European campaigns, more precedence, I don't think there was a moment's rest up until Kiev, up until the final whistle at Kiev. Mm-hmm. Um, and look, I'll say, I, I was disappointed, I, I, I was gutted not to win a sixth European Cup, but I don't think I've ever brushed off a final defeat, whether it's a League Cup, FA Cup, whatever. As easy as I forgot about that because we'd had such a good time. And again, it felt like this, it felt like the start of a, a journey as opposed to a destination. It, fe- it felt like this was the moment where if we went, well, hang on, this is this is only just the start here. We're going to crack on. We know where we're going to go. We know what we are, both on and off the pitch. We know what we are. The passion are, are in the stands. And how many kids did you see at Rome and away? Mm-hmm. Amazing. Absolutely fantastic. I love all that. And then in Kiev, I just, yeah. Now, I'm banging into that. And there was no real mourning of it. It's like Athens 2007. I've never felt so down because it felt like the end of something. Because there was the Higgs and Gillette thing was just, they were still new in, but it just felt a little bit weird. You get to see, you know when something doesn't smell particularly right? Where is this? And you see, I mean, I mentioned it before, Marnie vaulting the barriers in Rome away. You know, I mean, you're seeing Mo Salah when he's giving TV interviews and just, just stop a mid-interview just to turn around and like gaze at the <laughs> cop for a little bit and you're like, yeah, lad, yeah, lad. And I think the f- the fruit of that, if you will, is what's come afterwards with, you know, it, it, finally, it, it, um, it finally feels like we're dining at um, the top table in a long, for the first time in a long time, European football. It, it doesn't really feel like... We're hanging on the bootstraps. So, I mean, even the, the sense of how, how we've done with transfers or people coming in, all right, fair enough, Barcelona, San Coutinho. But it doesn't feel like we're servile to anyone anymore. It feels like we, we've, we've put it. Go on. But the servile thing's really interesting. It's the idea that we, we've sold Coutinho, but you sort of feel like we're now masters of our own destiny like in a way in which we haven't been for some time. Like we, compl- we sort of dictate our own landscape and maybe we're looked after about this next summer to some extent. But I was going to say, that's yeah. sort of something I, I had sort of half had down, but you used the word servile, which is dead interesting. Like Liverpool punched their weight. Yeah, yeah, we no longer feel inferior or, you know, you feel like you don't deserve to be at that party. We feel like we deserve to be back at that party now and people will take us seriously. So, yeah, all in all, fantastic. I really, 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 really enjoyable and I can't wait to see what next season brings. Just quick, a quick thing that you sort of point, pull through, which is, is there underneath a lot of what Sorry you're Sorry if that was a bit wishy-washy. No, just... it wasn't wishy-washy. It was more the idea... I mean, I enjoyed the fact that you said you weren't going to do it in chronological order and then did. But putting that to one side... <laughs> um, putting that to one side, I I thought there was something in, in what you were saying where you're saying about how it's not felt like this for a while and you keep mentioning, keep going back to Rome and away. And we, you know, we talk about clopping this and we talk about who's around us in this and who we're buying the stands in this and all that sort of stuff. But the other thing I think that why everyone keeps flat, falling back on Rome and away, and I've done all of these, is the players. Is We've got to fall back in love with the players properly as people, you know what I mean? And I think that's something which is there in what you're saying, that you, you we've all sort of decided these are great lads and, and we're, we're glad that we're part of them and they're part of us. Well, I mean, this is the... They all seem like they'd all, I mean, notwithstanding 
those that can't that don't drink because of religious beliefs, but they all seem like they'd have a, they'd all be a really good pint. And they feel like they're enjoying it. And you feel you feel closer to them. They don't feel like they're they're away in this bubble of they're there and we're here. There's like a collective. And I think that's 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 there's been buy-in there from both the club side and also the fans to be receptive to that. Um you've only got to look at the way they celebrate that they, they, they've celebrated. You've only got to look at the way they interact. And I know look, I know everyone's cynical about what the media obligations and one thing and the other. But they just seem a lot closer to a lot closer to being Liverpool players than what maybe other players have been. There doesn't seem to be big time Charlie in that dressing room. There doesn't seem to be. They, they look like they've got each other's backs, and I think that shines through. I think that shines through. I mean, I, we've always said, we've always said, haven't we? Look, talent's one thing, but the ability, the desire. To, if you can see the desire of a player to run through a brick wall for Liverpool and give their absolute all, will always give you the benefit of the doubt. And it looks like for the first time in a long time, we've got a load of talented lads. You do just that. Okay, uh, thank you very much indeed to Andy. Uh, been, as I say, been doing all of these, listening to what everyone's had to say. So if you do want to listen to them, they're on the Anfield Wrap uh, one way or another. Some of them were done on the free show on Monday. Uh, one of them was done on our review show and another one was done uh, behind the paywall. Uh, and they've all been fabulous stuff indeed. Uh, but I've been listening to them and I've been sort of reflecting on the season as I saw it as we've gone right the way through. And I think it's, I think there's there's, there's a ton of different themes in the season. I think that what, what uh, Dan and Andy have sort of focused on is is the, the the journey that has been sort of seen through the European games, but you know I th- I I sort of start this by the first thing that strikes me is what the manager's done differently and how he's tried to work at being a different type of Liverpool. And I think if you look at the way in which he's he's managed his squad first and foremost for the rigors of an entire campaign, he's mostly succeeded. Uh, Liverpool made more changes than any other any other side in the country. Uh, but I, I, up, up until about the point the year turns, uh, Liverpool were constantly looking to rotate, uh, constantly looking to keep players fresh. And I think that ever so slightly accounts for a slippage that I'm going to come on to talk about in the autumn. But I think it also accounts for some of the fabulous runs that we've had and also how fresh we are at the end of the season. Everyone keeps referring to the fact that the front three stay fit towards the end of the season as some sort of astonishing piece of luck. Whereas in reality, it's something that the manager clearly had in his mind and as a part of his focus mm-hmm. right the way through the campaign. We all make the noises like, well, you know, we got lucky there last in the last couple of months. Well, I think we get lucky a little bit in that, you know, you can have a contact injury at any time, as happens to Salah in the final. But the reason why Liverpool's front three stay sharp is because they have been in and out uh, in terms of how the Liverpool managers use them right the way through the campaign. So I think that that's worth pointing out. And that that's the sort of thing that's quite difficult for the manager to be able to deal with as the season wears. It's, you know, you... I remember we were all critical of him for the team selections around the Chelsea home game, the Everton home game, the West Brom home game, and Liverpool don't win any of those three. And yet when we do beat Manchester City 4-3, we're absolutely singing his praises and the collective's praises. But what happens is that you don't spend the time to go, you know what, we might be as sharp as we are now because we did that. And I think that you can forget those little bits that managers, decisions that managers have to make. And if to get to do that then at the end of the season is important. Yeah, no, hundred percent on the manager thing. And I, I just one thing I forgot to leave out when we were talking about it is for every negative mo, every the minor negative moments that you look back on now. How many times this season have you gone? Wow. Yeah, I mean seriously, but Man City, Hoff- go back to Hoffenheim, exactly at Anfield. You know, time and time again, as Dan said, and he's forgetting Virgil van Dijk scoring at Edda. I mean, he might, I didn't forget um, against Devon, but the moment City away, Roma. When we're, when we're scoring four and five and looking like we deserve to score four and five, we've just gone, 
I was gonna, I was gonna do with John, John Gibbons then, but I won't. We won't do any swearing. Um, but you just think, blimey. And I think that's massive, and I think that that comes through all the way through. That you, you but do. But the, play, the players see that as well. That's what I'm saying. The play, the players, the, that happens with the players' minds as well. They get to buy into it, and I think that you see that right the way through. And that's why the bit, the bit of the season that I'd focus on, and the bit of the season where I think you can look at this manager and say he's really earned his money. Actually, comes after those Everton West Brom games on the 17th of December. We beat Bournemouth four uh, nil, and then on the 14th of January we beat Manchester City four three. And between them, we have the three three at Arsenal, which I'll come back to in a minute. The five nil against Swansea, and then the three two ones back to back in a week. 2-1 against Leicester 2-1 against Burnley 2-1 against Everton where Liverpool score goals in the last 15 minutes of each of those three games and win them 2-1 and throughout each of those games well certainly against Leicester uh, they play some decent stuff but they also show tons and tons of battling qualities and when you look at the season that's that's a little bit of the price of being able to having to rotate when you maybe haven't quite got the strength and depth you'd like to have when players like Oxley chamberlain aren't used to what you're doing that's where Liverpool see the benefit and what I think is important and what I think you get to see in that run especially is the way in which the side reacts to to a certain type of diversity. So the 4-0 against Bournemouth is followed up with a 3-3 against Arsenal and a 3-3 against Arsenal where we were much the better side and should have run away with it. Mm-hmm. And it's a couple of errors that sees it go wrong. But they bounce themselves back, they dust themselves off and four days later they do, they do a 5-0 against Swansea. And I think that just tells you the story of, of what's in there and what's in this side. And then they have to come back against when behind for a long time against Leicester and they get two equalisers against the against Burnley and Everton and they find a way through and they pull it out and then there's the game against Manchester City where yes they go 1-0 up but then it's 1-1 and then they play that 20 minutes of football after the break against Man City that Man City can't live with and they've done all of that right the way through and then the next thing that this little run tells us I think that's really important is that they then lose against Swansea and it's things like that that they're going to have to look at and address and I understand why they lose against Swansea I understand it was a funny period of time and it was a long break but they pull it out the bag Uh, later on in the season they come back round but when they do lose against Swansea I think it's a, it's a blow to everyone because of the extent to which they were on the march uh, at that stage of the season and it's a horrible trappy game and I think that's something that, again to learn from is that is that I think the manager's learned a great deal since he's come to Liverpool as already a man who knows far more about football than any of us but one of the things he's had to learn is the rhythms of the English game and the way the Christmas takes a certain toll on you you can see him making all of those decisions earlier in the season to be as strong as he can for what's going to happen at that stage. You see him, for instance, decide to start the season really strong. We win four of our first five games and it's only a late goal against Watford that hurts us. But I still think there's a couple of little bits where, you know, having small solutions to to exactly what you do, and I think he's working on that currently in the transfer markets, is that how you keep fresh, how you stay alert, how you get to be absolutely tip-top and what you're going to have to do. And I think on the whole, I think the manager has got a bit of an advantage on on a lot of his contemporaries with the possible exception of Mourinho, but I even think not Mourinho because the manager's worked worked against Pep Guardiola when Pep Guardiola's been the manager of, of a dominant side uh, and he's worked against that side, that dominant side when he hasn't had Leo Messi. So when he hasn't got the best player in the world and all of his Pep Guardiola, he's just Pep Guardiola. And I think that the manager himself, and he started to make noises about it in the autumn, saying, you know, you've got to be able to enjoy this without winning the league. He knows that that's the job at Liverpool, that that's what we brought him in to do, to try to win us the title. But he also knows that there's going to be some seasons where City can just get 100 points and we can have a bit of bad luck and we're going to be playing catch-up. And I think he sort of accepted that and understood that quite early on as part of his process. And I think he knows, though, and he's trying to build us into a side that can get 90 points. And I think that he's the first Liverpool manager to genuinely target a squad and a side that can get 90 points. 
And I think you see that right the way through the season. I think you see it from the way in which he, he grabs Christmas, from the way in which, you know, you look at our run there. That's an astonishing run from the 17th of December until the 14th of January. In all of those games, to only lose a weird one, sorry, to not win, to only fail to win a weird one against Arsenal. That's an astonishing uh, mm-hmm. achievement. Genuinely is. And it's interesting that you didn't really want to talk much about the domestic stuff, Dan, because I very much do in that I think that, that the first half of the season is dominated by him being put us in a position domestically to do the business, even after a, a ropey September, October. And then the flip side is then being able to put the hammer down in Europe because we've got the domestic stuff under control. It's not perfect, mm-hmm. but it's under control and we know where we are. And that's how he's able to do it. And to take that right the way back, to, to September because it's important again to reflect on when we were all feeling down I'll, I'll let people into a small Anfield rap business secret which is that the day uh, there was the greatest number of manual um, manual cancellations uh, was after we got beat 2-0 in the League Cup by Leicester uh, people who subscribe to the Anfield rap and pay us money how weird they that they just got fed up didn't they people just got fed up because we got beat 5-0 by Man City 2-2 draw with Sevilla 1-1 draw against Burnley and then we got beat by Leicester in the League Cup and people went, I've had enough of this. And genuinely, it's, it's true. It's a really strange thing that happened and we, we've sort of noted it since. But isn't that the momentum but thing though, Neil? I think it is the momentum thing, Andy. And what I also think is it, it, it makes sense. And people were, 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 they were hurting and they were sore because they could feel as, they felt as though the season was, was going off track. And, you know, all the way through that club kept it on track. We then beat Leicester in the league, but even then we didn't win another league game then until, so we beat Leicester on the 23rd of September and we didn't win another league game until we beat Huddersfield at home on the 28th of October. And whilst we we put seven past Maribor and we'd look good in patches, you know, that is what he's got to address. If you look through the rest of the season, it's an astonishing season. And it isn't as simple as the two defeats against Man City and Tottenham, which is the way we've talked about it in hindsight. Well, if it wasn't for the two defeats against Man City and Tottenham, no, no, no. That period as a whole between Man City and Tottenham, we failed to beat Sevilla. We failed to beat Spartak Moscow. We failed to beat Newcastle United. We failed to beat Man United at home. We failed to beat Leicester in the League Cup. We failed to beat Burnley. And that whole period is the period where, you know, when he's sitting down with his team and when he's doing this thing that we're doing now, I'd like to think that's what he's thinking about because the rest of the season the game against for instance West Brom when we get beaten in the FA Cup it's just mad and he can say that's just a bit mad but it's both. remember we spent like 35 minutes not knowing what was happening because the game kept getting stopped and no one was in a position to tell us what was happening Yeah, it's like oh, oh the, the scoreboard's changed not sure why but someone's got a goal for some reason trust <laughs> me you, you weren't watching a drunk in a pub in Dublin mate <laughs> uh, it was absolutely crazy stuff And I, but I think that that's where you know when you're doing this you can accept the idea that listen next year you got beat this year 2-1 at Old Trafford. Next year, you might win 2-1. It might be a tight game and you might win 2-1. You might have better players. They might have a certain couple of injuries that work and work against them and work for you. But I think if you're the man who's running this football club, you're looking at that run um, in September and October and saying, how do we ensure that doesn't happen again? And I think that's absolutely massive. But I think the other part of it as well, though, is, and it's again interesting what Dan was saying about about how we felt that we weren't masquerading at the end of the European competitions that we had. And I think that's because this is a manager who does so much of his work in pre-season and on the training ground and in preparation and in building. It's not not being tactical, it's being very tactical indeed, but then letting the players go and put the plan in place and executing it. Whereas when you say masquerading, I sort of know what you mean and that you sort of felt there was a bit of Benitez being magic yeah. That was getting us through at that, mm-hmm. that time. Whereas I think Klopp is as magic as Benitez. It's just that the magic is all in the prep. 
<laughs> the magic is all done is all not done on on the day of the game. The magic is done over here. So you get to see Benitez, for instance, pick a crazy team away at Juventus that has got two left backs playing, and um, which completely shuts the game down with Tony Nunes in centre mid and does a certain thing. Whereas I don't think you'll ever quite see Klopp do that because Klopp will think, well, I've got all my players ready to do what I need them to do during the summer, so I'll trust them to go and do it. And that's why there's no such thing as a perfect manager. And I keep saying, if you're going to get behind Klopp, you've got the the slings and arrows. But the last thing I want to say before we sort of sum it up and sum all of them up is focusing on these periods and then looking at how it comes to fruition in the second half of the season with the big games, with the games against Roma, with the game the Roma away thing. The manager, when he came in, everyone said he's really, really demonstrative and he's a huge personality. And I think he's been a huge personality, but I think he's also, you've all, we've also seen him maybe rein that part of him in. And I think he's trying to do all of that through his players. I think he's made up when he sees Woodburn and Alexander-Arnold bouncing around on their own in front of the supporters. Mm-hmm. I think he wants that. That He wants this Liverpool, but he wants it to be his players as Liverpool. I think he wants, he doesn't want it to be about Jurgen Klopp in terms of a Jurgen Klopp front and centre. And I think that's been a bit difficult for us to deal with at times because we focus so much on our manager at this club and we thought we were getting the massive manager who gave us all of that to, demonstrative stuff and gave us all of that big one and and we got to live that journey with him and I think that's there with him and it's there with him when you see him drunk at 6am and all of that sort of stuff I think he's that guy but I actually think he's been trying to channel it as much as possible through his players and I think that's a sign of him becoming more mature because I think that we've talked this club down too much and the way I'm going to end this is to say we've talked this club down too much Liverpool's aim should be to be the biggest club in the world and the best club in the world and to be the biggest and best football club in the world and the most successful and that should be Liverpool's aim and I think that's Jurgen Klopp's aim and I think that Jurgen Klopp has gone from the step last season where over the last 12 months where he's gone from a manager of a club who like Dortmund who are plucky underdogs who are going to leave one on you to realise that the only way he's going to be successful with Liverpool is to treat Liverpool like a massive club spend £75 million on a centre-half not pull your punches go out and dominate the transfer market across the following summer understand that you've got to be able to recruit these lads and coach the ones who are already there make make all of that work for you and absolutely stand your ground and say this is what Liverpool is and I think he's gone from being the sort of manager who's, who's, who's very much running down the touchline and, and jumping in the end and all that sort of stuff. To, he's on a journey where he's still himself and he's still his same hole. But he's trying to say to us, and he's been saying to us since he's turned up, he's been trying to be a manager who says, no, I manage the biggest and best football club in the world. And so all of you, 55,000 of you, you've got to come and be the biggest and best football club in the world. The people who own us, you've got to start building that stand, make it bigger, make these seem like the biggest club in the world. Though when we're buying players, we're buying the best centre-back in the world. We're not buying the third or fourth best centre-back, we're buying the best one. And I'm not going to make him better on the training ground because we're going to buy him and he's going to be boss. On, on the Van Dyke thing? We're literally summing up the radio show. Dead fast. Don't say... <laughs> Do you think the Van Dijk thing's been a lesson to what the players are bringing in? I think it's been a lesson to what the players are bringing in and I think it's been one for Klopp as well. He can't now say things like, for instance, United spends 88 million on Pogba. Oh, well, I disapprove of that sort of thing. Lads, you spend 75 million on a centre-half. You're managing Liverpool Football Club. We want Liverpool Football Club to be the best thing in the world. You want that as well. And that's the message of the season. Sports Social Podcast Network.